Ben, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a pecan sticky bun. Hi, I'm JL. And 10 years ago, I left my home in New York City where I lived as an artist and a songwriter, and I moved to California to pursue a PhD. I thought that in order to be a true scientist, I would need to give up all of my creative pursuits. But what I learned was that science requires just as much creativity as it does analysis. And now I'm beginning to wonder if I needed to give up songwriting after all. I'm not an artist anymore, but I recently heard a quote attributed to Albert Einstein that said, creativity is contagious, pass it on. So with that in mind, I've invited some artist friends and interviewed them about their creative process, what motivates them, and what drives them to make art. Because you never know, maybe there is such a thing as contagious creativity. That voice that you heard at the top of the show, that was my friend Ben Grace. I met him last year when I moved back home to New York City. He has long brown hair, an Australian accent, and amazing taste in breakfast food. I'm actually really thankful that I've had the opportunity to meet him, because on top of being an overall great human being, he's a brilliant musician, and you should really do yourself a favor and check out his stuff. Yeah, so you can find my music at bengracemusic.com and then you can find me at bengracemusic everywhere on Instagram, Facebook, uh, everywhere there is social media. I have the same handle, bengracemusic. Uh, I actually am releasing a song a month during 2018, so this will be the end of the year and you'll be able to see most of the songs I've been releasing once a month. Um, this Preacher's Daughter song, which we talked about today, was last month's uh, release. So uh, you can go to Spotify, follow me on Spotify, just Ben Grace there on Spotify, and you'll be able to see uh, all this music that I've been releasing. He wrote his first song as a teenager, and it was a song called Sometimes. He still knows how to play part of it, which is amazing. It's very teenage angsty, and that's kind of wonderful. And it goes a little something like this. And oh, how by moonlight, strangely somber, life seems to be so real. And deep within my own soul, dark waters stirring, feelings to conceal. And because I was in a Christian home, gravely disobedient, token unfaithfulness, so sadly mistaken for sweet sacred serenity. Moments so complex, logic forsaken. Ben's career in the music industry has spanned over 25 years, and it all started at the piano in his childhood home outside of Sydney, Australia. Yeah, so I started playing classical piano at 10 years old, and um, probably in my mid-teens, I always loved pop music. I, I was well, My mom thought I was practicing, but really I was just making things up and just mucking around the piano and making sounds. And then in my mid-teens, one of my friends at high school explained to me that across the top of the Beatles music, whether the G, the D, the C, that they were representative of chords, and then I could actually like improvise around those once I understood what those chords were. And I'd always been playing, you know, I was buying, you know, piano pop music where the melody was always in the right hand, and I hated that because, you know, I wanted to sing the melody and play the, the accompaniment. Um, so once I kind of learned this this language of chords, it really gave me uh, 
kind of the language to understand how to write my own tunes and then to kind of write down those chords and then to pan them to another musician and say, hey, like, here's an E minor, here's a C, here's a D, how about you play it with me? It goes something like this. So I think from, you know, from very early on in playing piano, I was obsessed with making my own sounds, making my own songs. Um, so that's kind of, it started very, very young for me. And one more thing that you need to know about my friend is that Ben Grace wasn't always his name. That's right. Yes, I was born under Ben Gilmore. And um, when my wife and I got married, we were looking at all the traditions around weddings and marriage. And one of the traditions, it says, you know, a man leaves his father and mother and, and clings to his wife and they become a new family. And so we kind of like that idea of actually starting a new name and starting something that had a mission statement or some kind of meaning to us. And I was a huge Jeff Buckley fan, so the album Grace was massive. Um, and I think as being a Christian as well, this idea of just grace being a word but a meaning, because all of the you know all our names have meanings, and some of them get lost in time. Like Gilmore is just an Anglo-Saxon name that had lost its meaning over time. Um, so kind of shows that as a mission statement and as a um, just a way to kind of encapsulate kind of what we're looking at. Very early on, when I actually was making music, I, I walked into a different spot where I didn't wasn't very well known at all, and I had this woman come up and give me this huge compliment, say, "Hey, you are amazing at what you do." And I did that classic deflection when you're a young artist, and you're like, "Oh no, it's not me. All the glory goes to God," and all that kind of deflection. And she kind of grabbed me, and she was just like, "Hey, like not for nothing, but like learn to take a compliment, like learn to receive grace." And I think I, I, and that was you know, maybe 20 years ago that that person said that to me and she's still a mentor for me today. But um, I'm still learning that, I think. I'm still learning to receive grace. I think I'm still learning to like love myself and accept myself as I am. And so it has been a long process really, even though this has been my name for almost 20 years. it's hard to take up your space in the world and, and to kind of really own who you are and what you are. I think uh, this is something actually I think America is, is much better at than any other um, you know kind of country in the world. I just got back from the UK and the UK has very similar roots to uh, to Australia. Obviously Australia is part of the colonies but this idea of deflecting all the time and kind of shrinking back and not taking up your space is very British um, and we actually have this phenomenon called a tall poppy syndrome in Australia which basically is a cultural phenomenon where if anyone decides they're better than the, the pack or if they just get more successful or if they're ambitious or if they just kind of look a little different to other people, that we have to cut them down to size. We have to cut them down to mediocrity. Um, and I think that really you know, makes artists in Australia struggle because I think partly being an artist, you have to have self-belief because, yeah, as you know, you know, it's not the most well-paying gig in the world. It's not the most... Um, you know, there's a lot of struggle in it. And so I think you have to have self-belief as an artist. And so I think you need to learn to receive just those drops of grace along the way and um, those compliments that come your way because that's going to fill your tank for might, might be a while. It's no accident that Ben speaks about taking up space in the same breath as he speaks about success. In fact, researcher Amy Cuddy and her colleagues found the same relationship between success and taking up space. In a recent study, Dr. Cuddy had research participants take part in a mock interview. However, before going into the interviews, the research participants were instructed to adopt one of two physical poses for a period of time. The first group, 
adopted what researchers called a low power pose. In other words, they were instructed to close and contract their bodies and take up as little physical space as possible. Picture a student who shrinks down in their seat to avoid being called on in class, kind of like that. The other group, however, was instructed to take on a high power pose. That is, to expand their bodies and take up as much physical space as possible. Picture Hussein Bolt at the finish line or Wonder Woman when she's being awesome, which is all the time. And do you know what happened after the mock interviews? Well, the researchers found that those who adopted the expansive high power poses performed significantly better and were viewed more favorably than their counterparts. So in both a literal and a figurative sense, taking up space is powerful. And that, among other things, is what Ben's song, Preacher's Daughter, is all about. Yeah, so I wrote this song in May of 2018. Um, I wrote it with a friend of mine, Carla Ewert, who has an organization called She Is Called, which is uh, a national conversation for women who lead. And a lot of the conversations that had been happening uh, around uh, my friends and, and people I kind of work with who are female artists was just this idea of uh, silence, silence of women in the church in, in several ways, uh, one of which is just uh, overall just not have a voice at all, not being encouraged to speak up. In the church I actually grew up in, it was very oppressive of women. Um, even in the Wednesday night Bible class, which was the more informal gathering in the week, women were not allowed to speak out loud at all. And if they had a question, they had to write it down and hand it to their husband. And if their husband wasn't present, they had to hand it to the closest male and have the, have the male read it. And so that was the environment I grew up in. And I was very uncomfortable with this idea because I think that we are all created equal and we're all children of God and we're all beautifully created with minds that that should fascinate and make us all curious so I was always uncomfortable kind of with this and I think I I think I first heard my the first time I heard a woman preach was around about 18 years old and I just wept through it and I just thought I've been missing half the story you know that that women have such an intriguing and interesting look on life and the way they kind of process scripture the way they kind of think about things um, should be you know platformed just as much as men and I wondered what the preacher's daughter said There's that side of it. Um, the other side, which I think has been wrestled with a lot right now in the American church, is purity culture and this kind of idea of repressing or silencing female sexuality um, and very you know patriarchal uh, kind of um, lens in which the church has really silenced women or blamed women for sexuality, mm-hmm. that, that Eve 
gave the the Adam to Apple. It gave the Apple to Adam, other way around, just say. Um, and and from there on in, women were to blame for men's desire. And so that was really kind of where this song came from, was these conversations I was having with friends about how to reconcile those two things. And not just for, you know, like this is not um, me making a statement on the church. I think this is my story too. I think that men and women both get hurt by patriarchy. Uh, Men and women both get hurt by purity culture. Men and women both end up with kind of repressed desire and and with uh, broken sexual relationships that that mean that you don't actually see yourself fully alive, but you hold back something of yourself or you feel shameful or you feel um, that what, you, what you're doing, even inside a consensual married relationship, might, might be kind of evil and, or dark on some kind of level. Mm-hmm. So this song is very dear to me for that reason, that I don't think it's not just about somebody. It definitely has my story woven into it as well. But this idea that your sexuality is a kind of a, a, a one-stop thing, that if you use it up, then it's kind of broken and mm-hmm. done, and your vessel is, is now, you know, marred and, and, and can't be used for good, um, was a very common idea. I think that churches talk about everywhere, and definitely the church I did, I grew up in, was. And there was this obsession with the lines, you know, you know how far can you go? How far is too much? And I think it just... Uh, and, and then you're told to not think about it, <laughs> which, which I think is not just about sex, but about how we talk about sin and how we talk about brokenness is like basically just don't think about it. But every time you say don't think about that, all you're thinking about is that. So it's kind of a, a weird thing the church does to say don't think about this or don't do that. And yet at the same time, I think it actually kind of promotes, I think, a silence around it. And I think um, a friend of mine, Tina Sherman Sellers, who wrote a book called Sex, God and the Conservative Church, um, and I've heard her a number of times. I heard her like last night and, and again on Sunday um, speaking here in New York. And she said, silence is not not communicating something. Mm. And I love that, mm. that, that when we are silent about things in culture, we're actually saying something. Mm. And I think often that gets interpreted in our lives as shame uh, because when we don't speak about something, if we don't acknowledge, say, you know, for many years we haven't acknowledged the existence of LGBTQIA people, that they're, they're erased, they're invisible, and so when we actually don't talk about it, the message we're sending is they don't matter. They're not here. They're not valid. Um, and so I think that's, we have to have conversations about sex. As uncomfortable as it is, we actually have to talk about it. Um, and so I think this idea that a woman is just a thing to be consumed, right? Just an object. Um, that our sexuality is just an object rather than a nuanced, um, fully rounded kind of thing. It just means that that men see women as just an object to to desire or to have, Um, which I think that they're missing out on the full experience of actually a a consensual relationship where there actually is desire that goes both ways, uh, where both partners are satisfied and actually there's a a justice element to that, Mm. you know, that not one walks away hungry, which is something we talk about, I think, around the communion table, that, that we all get fed by God, no one walks away hungry. And the same is true, I think, in sexuality, that, that when we do engage uh, in, in sexual activity, that both parties receive something, both parties give something, there's a, there's a natural flow, like they would be in conversation that we're having now, backwards and, backwards and forwards, um, that it's equal uh, or equitable.
And then I wondered what the preacher's daughter said. I think recent, more recently, though, I moved to New York like seven years ago and started a, a brand new church in Brooklyn. And my kind of obsession with diversity, with everyone having a voice, was right from the very start. I want to make sure that there was a balance of women and men um, on stage at all, all times during the, my worship team. Um, and then it gradually got even bigger and wider than that. It's like, let's look at ethnicity in the, in the worship team. Let's look at uh, sexual orientation in the worship team. Like, is everyone represented? Does everyone have a voice? It's not about tokenism. It's about literally people taking up their space. So I think in a place like New York where it is so diverse naturally, to live into that and to, you know, to really kind of push that is not that difficult. I do often get annoyed when I kind of feel like people do it out of a tokenistic kind of thing um, or that people don't understand why we do it, why it's so important that women, women speak. Um, it, it is funny, like I'm a white man, so I, sometimes I kind of laugh that my obsession with diversity is going to do me out of a job, you know, that, that my job is done when, when the stage kind of looks like people that don't look like me. But I think the truth of it is that all of us need a voice. And here at last is Ben Grace singing... Preacher's Daughter.
I wanted was the preacher's daughter said. Contagious Creativity is a production of Advent Hope Ventures in association with Church of the Advent Hope, a Seventh-day Adventist community in the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York City. Go to adventhope.org for more information. And if you're awesome and you like awesome things, remember to subscribe to Contagious Creativity. You can find us on our website at contagiouscreativitypodcast.org or on iTunes and Google Play.